You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. We hear a lot about the adverse health effects of salt, but how can we quantify the actual clinical impact of salt reduction? Is cutting salt intake by even a modest amount beneficial in reducing cardiovascular disease? Our guests today are Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, Associate Professor of Medicine and of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of California, San Francisco, and Dr. Glenn Chertow, Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Nephrology at Stanford University School of Medicine in Stanford, California. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Oh, we're going to start with a primer on sodium. Let's call it the salt problem. Uh, Dr. Bibbins-Domingo, how big a problem is this for the average American? Well, the average American is consuming far more salt than physicians and health organizations would recommend. On average, we should be consuming less than 6 grams of salt. And if you're over 40, you should be consuming less than 4 grams of salt. And the average man in the U.S. is consuming over 10 and the average woman over 7. So we're all consuming way more salt than we should. How did we get to this point? How did this happen? Well, most of the salt that we're consuming comes from processed, prepared, or packaged foods. The amount of salt in those products has actually been increasing, and it's very difficult for the average person to reduce the salt in their diet because most of the salt that they're consuming doesn't come from salt shakers. It comes from salt that's already added to the foods that they're eating. So our rapid pace fast food nation also is a very high salt nation. Absolutely. And it's not only just the fast foods and the snack foods that we think of as being salty, but also the breads and cereals and the soups and the deli meats and dairy products. All of those things contain a large quantity of salt. And Dr. Churchill, tell the listeners, what's the relationship between high salt consumption over time and diseases like high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease? Probably the strongest relationship that's been demonstrated is between salt intake and hypertension or high blood pressure. Then the association between salt intake and cardiovascular disease or kidney disease relate to the potentiating effect of hypertension on cardiovascular disease. Then salt can also have direct effects on other disease processes, particularly heart failure, a very common disorder in the elderly population in particular. And I would imagine that because we are seeing patterns of consumption by our young people resulting in obesity, they're also consuming these high-salt foods. Are we seeing earlier incidents of high blood pressure in kids? We have seen much more hypertension in children and adolescents, even borderline elevations in blood pressure, which may have important long-term consequences. And The degree to which this is related to diet and other factors such as physical inactivity and obesity isn't entirely clear, but they definitely track together. So it's a fast food video game nation. Now, Dr. Bivens-Domingo, you and Dr. Chertow had published a lovely article in the New England Journal looking at the effects of salt reduction. Talk to us about your approach and your findings. So we used a computer model of heart disease in U.S. adults, 
And we were interested in determining what would happen in the U.S. population if we could reduce salt consumption just slightly. As I mentioned earlier, the average man in the U.S. is consuming over 10 grams of salt. What we were interested in determining was what would be the impact of lowering salt in our diet by just 1 to 3 grams. So modest reductions. For many people, this modest reduction wouldn't even get them to guideline levels. We used this computer model to determine what would happen over the next year and the next 10 years if we could magically lower salt in the U.S. diet by just these modest amounts. And what we found was that small reductions in salt by 3 grams per day would result in almost 100,000 fewer deaths each year, over 100,000 fewer heart attacks, and over 100,000 fewer new cases of heart disease. So really quite large effects directly related to the effect of lowering salt on lowering blood pressure. Did that surprise you? Did the degree of benefit from a modest salt reduction sort of shock you? You know, we know that the effects of lowering salt on blood pressure can be small but substantial. So the effects across the population were not that surprising in general. I think what did surprise me was the magnitude of the effect relative to other interventions that we take for granted and know to be a good intervention. So, for example, in our model, we compared the effect of lowering salt in the U.S. diet to the effect of reducing the number of smokers in the U.S. by half. And what we found was that the magnitude of the health benefit across the U.S. population was actually comparable between these two types of interventions. And Dr. Chertow, you found different benefits for different populations, right, in terms of gender or race and ethnicity. Can you walk us through those findings? Well, yes, we did. And there are a couple of issues that relate to the population-specific issues that Dr. Bibbins-Domingo raised. So we saw enormous potential benefits of a very modest reduction in uh, salt intake, in part because hypertension is not an on-off or yes-no phenomenon. That is, for primary care physicians and other healthcare providers who've been in practice over the past 10 or 15 or 20 or more years, we've seen definitions of hypertension change. And so this is not only an issue that affects people who have moderate to severe hypertension, but actually potentially provides a benefit across a broad range of the population, even some of whom would have what's considered pre-hypertension or just mild elevations in blood pressure, or even ranges of blood pressure within what most of us would consider the desirable range. That is, the degree to which salt increases blood pressure, if we could reduce that salt intake, we could move the entire population to a lower risk state. Now, with regard to specific populations, certain subgroups and many large subgroups of the population are at increased risk of hypertension-related and therefore salt-related consequences. They include the very large proportion of older Americans who become more sensitive to the hypertensive effects of salt as we age along with African-Americans and other subpopulations who may have certain physical and biochemical characteristics that render them more sensitive to salt than the general population. And your finding, particularly in women, what was that? Women seem to experience a relatively greater benefit of salt reduction 
than did men. While overall cardiovascular disease rates tend to be higher in men, it's well known that women also suffer very high rates of cardiovascular disease in the United States and elsewhere. And increasing attention to the cardiovascular health of women is a major priority for our health systems currently. The fact that we saw more pronounced potential benefits of salt reduction in women is striking. I think another factor which is also striking and important is in terms of lives saved, the relative benefit, perhaps because of the cumulative effects over time, seem very prominent in young people. So again, this is not only an intervention that could be of benefit to older people labeled with or diagnosed as having hypertension, but could truly benefit the entire population. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright. Our guests today are Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo, Associate Professor of Medicine and of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of California, San Francisco, and Dr. Glenn Chertow, Professor of Medicine and Chief of the Division of Nephrology at Stanford University School of Medicine in Stanford, California. We're talking about the impact of reducing salt intake on future cardiovascular disease. Dr. Bivens-Domingo, we've talked about the cost to the individual and population society. What about the actual dollar costs? What's the impact of reducing salt on health care expense? Thanks for asking that question because that was another area that I think we were a little bit surprised at the findings and, and really the magnitude of the economic benefit as well. So as you might imagine, reducing the number of people admitted to the hospital for heart attacks or for strokes would certainly have a beneficial effect of cost savings that would occur from uh, healthcare dollars not spent in this way. We actually, in this study, performed a cost-effectiveness analysis. We used estimates that the World Health Organization has published on how much it would cost a country like the U.S. to initiate a regulatory education labeling program to achieve population-wide reductions in salt. And they estimate that that type of intervention would cost about a dollar per person per year. And when we use those numbers and we compare the cost spent on such an intervention to the healthcare costs saved in terms of the strokes and heart attacks avoided, we found that such an intervention would, in fact, not only be cost-effective, that is, you would gain a large number of healthy lives for each dollar spent on the intervention, but it would actually be cost savings. That means that you would save more in terms of the healthcare costs that you avoid spending. You save those, and that amount exceeds the amount you actually spend on an intervention to reduce salt across the population. Whether this is the pure health benefit or the very real economic benefit of reducing salt in the diet, the work together suggests that such interventions would have dramatic benefits for the U.S. population. And speaking of the U.S. population, I was just going to ask to clarify that those statistics you quoted, the cost of uh, reducing salt and the educational campaign and the savings, are based on the U.S. economy, correct? Absolutely. But this is not a problem just of the U.S., is it? Maybe, Dr. Churchill, you could talk about what other countries have noted in their populations and what they're doing to address salt intake. I know some of the European countries have instituted some regulatory policies that have begun to prove effective at lowering population salt intake. I think it's very important to also take the individual perspective. 
So as Dr. Bibbins-Domingo mentioned, from the population perspective, this is a big win because there are many healthy lives extended as a result, the anticipated result of a salt reduction and cost savings. From the individual's perspective, it's a bit more difficult because of the nature of the quantities of salt that are ingested. As Dr. Bibbins-Domingo mentioned earlier, the vast majority of the salt ingested by most Americans comes in the form of packaged and processed foods. And I think you mentioned the very hectic lifestyle that many Americans now undertake. And I think it's extremely difficult to expect impoverished individuals to suddenly wake up and go to the supermarket and find fresh fruits and vegetables and completely change their diet. So it's going to take a lot of education and a lot of understanding and potentially some policy changes to translate what could be population-wide benefits in health and economics to the individual. As we're drawing to a close here, Dr. Churta, I'd ask you to address either patients directly or practitioners and advise them how to begin this salt reduction process. What would you recommend? Boy, this is really challenging to translate (laughs) the research into practice. Right. I think in reading the article, one really should emphasize that the anticipated gains are not from dramatic reductions in salt intake. I think, as you pointed out, small steps are really the first way to go. A lot of this will require education on the part of the general population and as primary care physicians and other providers, we need to advise our patients and our communities about the importance of salt. It's taken a backseat to many other exposures and risks in the eyes of the public over the past 20 or so years. And we hope that with this article having been published and with additional opportunities to educate as you're providing with us now, we can bring salt back into people's minds. Oh, I think that's great advice. And it sounds as though it's never too late or too early to pay attention to salt intake and to try to gradually reduce that over time. We've been talking with Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo and Dr. Glenn Chertow about the impact of reducing salt intake on future cardiovascular disease. Dr. Bibbins-Domingo and Dr. Chertow, thank you so much for being our guests today. Thank you for having us. Be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.